One of the challenges of traveling is managing your money. If you're tired of getting crushed by bank fees and exchange rates, you need to check out wise.com. I have been a customer for over 10 years. This is the easiest way to connect all of your finances internationally. It's been essential for me first as a traveler, then later as a digital nomad and an expat living abroad, running a business from around the world. You get one account, which allows you to send, spend, and convert money internationally, all without hidden fees or exchange rate markups. You can join 16 million customers, learn how the Wise account can work for you by downloading the app or visiting wise.com slash travel. That's wise.com slash travel. Thank you to Wise for supporting today's show. This episode of Zero to Travel is brought to you by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. Learn more at nissanusa.com. I was down the street the other day at one of my favorite local cafes, chatting with the barista about travel. And she had a philosophy that there were two different types of travelers. And I had never thought of it this way. I'm going to share what that is with you in this episode. You'll have to tell me if you agree or not. I am kind of torn. Maybe this is more of the spectrum of travelers. But anyway, we're going to get into that here in this show. Plus an interview with somebody who's worked seasonal jobs. And how can seasonal jobs help you kickstart or continue a life of travel? How can you build your travels around that? What is that experience like? Is it something you might want to pursue? Seasonal jobs are an interesting thing because people of all ages work seasonal jobs. So this is something you might want to have in your back pocket for, if not now, maybe later. It's all happening on today's show as we kick off Travel Jobs Month. We're talking about different types of travel jobs all this month on the Zero to Travel podcast are you ready to do this thing? Let's get into it right now. Strap in, buckle up, grab your favorite beverage, sit back, relax. Thanks for being here and welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. You're listening to the Zero to Travel podcast, where we explore exciting travel-based work, lifestyle, and business opportunities, helping you to achieve your wildest travel dreams. And now your host, world wanderer and travel junkie, Jason Moore. Hey there, it's Jason with ZeroToTravel.com. Welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you so much for hanging out, spending a little time with me here today, letting me bring a little travel into your ears. This is the show to help you travel the world on your terms, my friend, on your terms, to fill your life with as much travel as you desire, no matter what your situation or experience, as I mentioned at the top of the show, it's Travel Jobs Month here on the Zero to Travel podcast, something I am super passionate about. And last month, we talked all about starting your own thing and location independence. And this month, we're going to focus on different types of travel jobs and try to give you some ideas around how you can utilize these types of jobs as your main source of income while you travel, or maybe you use it as something that fills the gaps between your big trips or perhaps both. I am a huge fan of travel jobs. And if you listened to the show all last month, you know I'm also a big fan of, of location independence and starting your own thing and working from anywhere. But before I did all that, I spent over 10 years living nomadically because I was working different jobs that required me to travel, forced me to travel. I'm using in air quotes. I actually chose these jobs because they were so travel-focused. And I don't want to get too much into it because if you've listened to the show for a while, you know the story. But I'll give you a quick overview. I essentially spent, like I said, over a decade. As a professional touring manager, I managed different types of events in the event marketing industry, traveling around, living on the road for usually 
eight to 11 months out of the year. And in between contracts, I would go overseas and travel, just save up money during my contract work, and then come back and pick up more gigs. And I eventually ended up being a tour manager one summer for an adventure travel company. I ended up working as a tour manager for a band for a little while and being on tour with them, living in the tour bus and that whole lifestyle. So I've gotten to experience touring as a lifestyle. And that was my life for a very long time. And I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I had an inkling during that time that I wanted to have my own thing someday. I felt this need to maybe be an entrepreneur, maybe start my own thing someday. But it wasn't right then. I just wanted to travel and enjoy my travels and be able to pay my bills and save money and get fun jobs. And that's what I did. These jobs were fantastic. They started off lower pay, but gradually I built my career, I built connections, and I was able to get touring jobs consistently. And my salary increased and I was able to save a lot of money because I was living on the road. I didn't have a home. I didn't have a car. I never paid for gas or any of those regular life things that if you have a traditional job and you live somewhere, you have all of those bills. And I didn't have any of those bills because those bills were all covered by the company. So if I went out on tour for 10 months out of the year, I was just saving my entire salary and per diem, which is the money they give you for hotel and food. I would spend what I would spend on hotel and food, but everything else I would be able to save. Save quite a bit, actually. And that allowed me to buy a place later in Boulder, Colorado. It allowed me to travel the world in between contracts. And I was able to see different countries and travel overseas extensively and know I could come back and still find gigs and still have some money in the bank. It was really an awesome thing. I was able to pay off my student loan bill, which is over $20,000 in half the time. I did it in five years. I was able to eventually... I bought a car, I think, when I was... 32 or something after 10 years on the road. So when I got off the road, I was able to have money to start up a quote-unquote regular life for a little while, which is what I did. But that's another story that's neither here nor there. I can tell you that my career as a touring professional, they were some of the best years of my life, definitely. And I'm so glad I spent those years not only exploring the world and using travel jobs to do that because I was able to still save money and do all those things I mentioned, but also to get career skills from those experiences. And it's funny because some people would look at my resume. I actually ended up getting a more traditional job for a couple of years. And when I went into the in for the interview with the VP, he looked at my resume and said, I got to tell you, Jason, looking at your resume, it looks like you've never had a real job in your whole life. And I'm thinking, oh man, this guy has no idea the things that I've been through because being on tour makes you an ultra resourceful person. And there are a lot of different challenges that you face that I wouldn't have otherwise faced in traditional careers. And of course, they have their own challenges. I can only bring my experience to the table. I ended up getting that job somehow anyway. But it's funny because on the surface, some of these jobs can look like, hey, what is this going to do for me or for my career or whatever? But it's funny how the world works and how life works. Because if you're doing something that's true to your heart, even if you're saying, hey, I don't know, I don't really want to wash dishes for the rest of my life, but going to wash dishes for a summer in a national park in Montana sounds like a really cool experience. So I'm going to just go and have that experience and do that job, do it the best I can and take what I can from it. And you meet people and you learn so much from every experience 
that you put yourself into and travel jobs are no exception. And the reason why they're such a great tool for travel is because you can earn a living and get paid to travel. It's quite an awesome thing. And I thought, well, these jobs got to be so competitive. Doesn't everybody want to do this? And the answer to that is no. It's surprising. A lot of people don't want to travel for months on end. They don't want to live a lifestyle where they don't have roots or they don't have a base that they can come home to even every couple weeks. And if you're spending months on the road for some of these jobs that I had, it's just not for everybody. So it turns out there, there isn't a lot of competition as much as I thought there could be compared to all of the people that want to travel. But the reality is most people don't want to travel in that way. So I am just giving you a little tiny slice of some of the travel work and experiences that I've had. Today, we're going to get into an interview with somebody else who has done this with seasonal jobs and has used seasonal jobs to build a life of travel. And you think about seasonal work, yes, you're going to one location, but if you're taking different jobs in different places during different seasons, you are moving around and checking different places out. And you don't really have to be based anywhere because as you'll hear, oftentimes accommodations can be included in different things like that. There are many types of jobs that allow you to travel. Again, this is just a little bit of insight into seasonal work. And next week, we're going to cover this topic a bit more as well with a couple that I interview. And you're really going to enjoy that one too. So we're going to get into that in just a second. First, I want to quickly thank Tortuga Backpacks for supporting today's show. If you go to zerototravel.com slash Tortuga, what are you going to find? You're going to find my favorite backpacks to use for travel. And specifically, I more often than not use the Tortuga Outbreaker and their day pack. They come out with new ones. I've used every iteration of their day pack. And what I love about the day pack is it's packable, but it's durable and it's light. So a lot of day packs that just pack down and are, are trying to go for that super light, minimal construction. So you can pack it down if you want, but then you can use it when you get there. They don't have enough support on the straps. I hate that. That drives me crazy. I wanted a bag that was packable, but also had some decent support on the straps and a bag that I could use not only when I was traveling, but in my everyday life where I live here in Norway. And that's exactly what the Tortuga day pack does for me. And the Outbreaker... It's the no-brainer every time I'm going to travel. That's my go-to. So these are the bags that I love. You can get 10% off any of Tortuga's stuff if you go to zerototravel.com slash Tortuga and enter the promo code TRAVEL when you check out just the word TRAVEL. My buddy Fred, who owns Tortuga Backpacks, is giving the Zero to Travel listening community, that's you, 10% off any of Tortuga's stuff. And they have packing cubes and a whole bunch of other stuff there. If you're gearing up for your next trip... I highly encourage you check them out. Love the materials, love the packs, love everything they're doing over there. And 10% off of that promo code travel. Thanks again to those guys for supporting today's show. And if you end up getting anything, you'll also be supporting the show as well. So thank you, my friend. Let's get into the interview now. And on the other side, we're going to talk about this this little run-in I had at the cafe. I wouldn't call it a run-in. We had a great conversation. But this philosophy that the barista had, I mentioned at the top of the show about two different types of travelers. Immediately, I visualized this, this spectrum. And it's an interesting spectrum. And we'll talk about that after the interview. So please enjoy listening in on my conversation. And I'll see you on the other side, my friend.
My guest today is the author of The New Guide, The Ultimate Guide to Seasonal Jobs, How to Have Fun, Make Money, and Travel the World. And she is here to share her advice around how we can either kickstart or extend our travels with seasonal work. You can learn more about her at Susan Shane, that's S-H-A-I-N.com. Susan, welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. Thank you so much, Jason. I'm excited to be here. I was excited when you reached out because I've had a lot of random travel jobs too. So it's always fun to talk to somebody else that has worked like crazy jobs all over. Where where am I talking to you today? Well, today I'm actually in Columbia, South Carolina, which might be the most random place I've lived. Um, my boyfriend and I are here for a few months for family reasons. So um, it's been interesting. I've never lived in the South before, but um, I'm having fun. You're from Michigan, right? I went to school in Michigan. I'm a diehard Wolverine, um, but I grew up in a small town in upstate New York. Ah, okay. Because I did read on your site that you were a diehard Michigan fan. So I just assumed, but I'm, I'm a Penn State guy. So we're going to have to get off this call right now because. Yeah, that's okay. Just okay. Not cool. Well, so see you later. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, what part of upstate New York did you grow up? Um, it's a small town called Hamilton. It's about an hour south of Syracuse. It's where Colgate University is, if you've ever heard of that. Okay. And with your time in Michigan, because I've spent a lot of time in Michigan as well, what's your like number one travel highlight there? Um, you know, to be honest, I haven't seen that much of Michigan outside of Ann Arbor. Um, I, you know, when you're in college and you kind of don't do anything except for <laughs> hang out in your college town. I know um, all too so- well. So that was kind of my college life. But I mean, I love Ann Arbor and I go back probably once a year, once every two years. Um, It's just the ultimate college town. Sorry, I don't know where you went to school if you did go to Penn State. But um, yeah, Ann Arbor is what I think is the best college town. How did you get into travel? Like, did you travel a lot as a child? We did travel a fair amount as a child. My parents kind of had the same ethos that I have today. Like they didn't really spend a lot of money on other stuff. We didn't have a lot of like physical things around our house. So we always had old cars, um, but we did go on trips. So they're both from California. So, and I grew up in New York. So we went back to California a lot. And then we did go on a couple trips to Europe when I was growing up. Um, Cause my dad's best friend lives in France. So, but then I really think is when I, got the bug, so to say, is my dad is a professor and we he did a study abroad group when I was in high school. So I went and uh, lived in Geneva, Switzerland for a semester and went to public high school there. Um, and that was just really cool, the opportunity to live abroad and to just kind of be integrated into a whole new way of life really made me think, wow, this is, I want to keep doing this. Okay. That was like where you're like, wait a minute, this is a thing I can do. Yeah. Well, I don't think I really thought about the possibility of like being able to live abroad again. I mean, I was 17 and, you know, just living with my parents. So I don't really think I thought about how I could do it myself. Um, But it became a thing like, wow, I want to make sure that this becomes a part of my life in the future. Got it. Uh, What was the difference between going to a public high school in Switzerland versus like a typical American public high school? I, it's hard for me to say because my American high school is probably not typical. My town's really small. So we had kindergarten through 12th grade in one building. 
and there were 74 kids in my graduating class, which was the biggest class ever to graduate from my school. <laughs> wow, <So>, huge. <laughs> yeah. So when I talk to other people about their American high school experience, it's a little bit different. But from what I see in the movies, right. um, I can refer to. All the archetypes you know, and the, the stereotypes. Right. Yeah. Um, the thing that really struck me was that in between classes, everybody would go outside to smoke cigarettes, which I thought was I mean, I don't know if you're even allowed. Breathing that fresh Swiss air, huh? Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't even know if you can do that in American high schools. I'm not sure because I've never smoked cigarettes, but. Right. They um, didn't have to hide in like a bathroom stall and throw. No, it was like everybody would just go out in between classes and I would just like go stand there. And I was like the weird kid because I wasn't smoking with them. Um, <laughs> but I was the weird kid anyways, because I was American and they were all like really cool European kids. <laughs> It sounds like a cool experience. I mean, cool enough where you you got, like you said, you got bit by the travel bug, so to speak. All right. So you had this quote on your website, which I also resonated with because I had, well, not a similar experience, but almost. I guess the difference is I never went to the to an interview. But you said I had one really bad interview my senior year with a bunch of pale dudes in suits. Made me realize I didn't want to go into public relations, advertising, or consulting, whatever that means. <laughs> like, yes. did this whole seasonal work thing start for you then? Or, yeah, basically. So, I mean, I was in college and I did an internship in PR, I did an internship in advertising. I had a lot of friends who were, you know, going into consulting and, and making good money. And I just kind of thought that that's what I wanted to do was to go live in New York City and, and do that. Um, and then there was like a small part of me that kept saying like, well, remember traveling, like you love traveling, is this going to give you the opportunity to travel? But I didn't really listen to it. And I, you know, was doing lots of interviews. And one of them was with Bloomberg, um, the financial um, media company, which would have been an awesome job. But I was completely unprepared for the interview. And within like a few minutes, I knew I'd blown it. And so I decided just to be honest with them and kind of tell them like, you know, what I really want to do is move west and ski. And it was like, <laughs> you said that in your interview. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good for you. I mean, I mean, at that point, like I already knew that I hadn't, I wasn't going to get didn't the job. Have, it so. didn't have like a reverse effect, did it, Susan? They weren't like all of a sudden like, oh my gosh, we have to have you. Like, no, I mean, probably in some <laughs> movie, that's how it would go. But um, in this situation, they were just like, this girl's crazy. And uh, she's clearly not a fit. Um, yeah. And, and then I went home and I told my roommate I was, I was moving to Colorado. I just kind of was like, you know what? If this is what's coming out and this is what you really want to do. You're 21 years old. You might as well do it. And that's where um, my seasonal job or travel journey began. When in doubt, just move to Colorado, right? I agree. That's, You're in Colorado, right? <laughs> no, I'm in Norway, but I used to live in Col okay. in Boulder, Colorado. So okay. was it a struggle for you to kind of take a path that maybe is not as accepted, I guess, in society and in, in at least in Western society coming out of school with a, a degree and you're supposed to get, you know, a regular job and all that kind of stuff? I don't think it was as much of a struggle at the time. I think later, um, you know, when I saw my friends kind of having these different milestones and, and successes in their, you know, more conventional careers, I might have said to myself, like, Oh, I wonder if I had done the right thing. But I think at the time, I mean, I was 21. Like, I was just like, all right, here we go. Let's do this. I don't think it was that scary for me at the time, because I didn't really have anything to lose. I knew that, you know, I really admire people who leave well paying corporate jobs and, you know, go do something more adventurous, because that's a huge risk. But 
the way I was doing it wasn't really a risk. I mean, I didn't have anything. And then I went and, you know, continued that same kind of lifestyle. So it wasn't a huge adjustment. I think it was later that I really, you know, I had to think about whether I wanted to commit to this and, and whether I was happy with an unconventional life, which I figured out I was, but you know, it was more, the soul searching came later. So you got past that. And how long did you do this seasonal work from the time you were 21 till? Yeah. So I probably worked seasonal jobs for, I mean, maybe five or six years. It was, a, it's, it's kind of hard because I actually went into freelancing and then went back to seasonal work. So we could get into that later, but the journey's never just a straight line. Was it out of necessity for like, Hey, I got to get another job really quick and this is kind of what I'm doing. So I'm just going to do it. Or was it more intentional around, Hey, like I want to go see these new places. So I'm going to go here. Like, or was it a mix? Um, you know, I think it, it was a mix. So around the time that I was kind of making all these decisions, I also made a before I'm 30 list, which was a list of things that I wanted to accomplish before I turned 30. And a few of the things on there were things that guided me to the seasonal jobs I did end up getting. Um, the timing was random, like, oh, hey, this seems like a good time to do this. That was totally random. But I did have some overarching things I wanted to accomplish. And, and those were the things that I pursued as far as seasonal work. Do you think it's important to make a list like that? I think if it works for you, um, it really helped me. It really helped me be able to look back now that I'm 31 and say like, wow, I really did a lot of the things that I wanted to do. But I didn't hold myself accountable in the way that I would be disappointed if I didn't. I mean, there are some things on the list that I still haven't done. And I wasn't upset about that. You know, it was just more more of a guideline for me about like, what do I want my thirties to look like? Hmm. I mean, my twenties to look like <laughs> now yeah. I'm in my thirties. So I haven't made another <laughs> list yet. <laughs> no, but I think uh, there's a lot of power in writing something down and, and having a rough idea. But I think that's key. What you said is, you know, you're not setting yourself up for disappointment. Like you weren't going crazy over the list. You weren't going to be like psycho about it where you're like, no, nah, I got to get to like, I'm 29. Now I got to do these 15 things or, right. <laughs> <laughs> or it's like, I haven't lived, you know, exactly. um, but it gave you this rough outline. And um, wh what was one of the things on the list that surprised you that, that you actually accomplished? I mean, I think the most surprising thing, which is not relevant to this podcast was running a marathon. Um, I kind of just put that on the list for no reason. I don't even, everybody just throws it on the list, you know, I just run right. It's just on the list. And then <laughs> that was actually something that I did. And I, question my sanity at it, but I will never do it again. But that's one thing that I'm like, wow, I can't believe I actually did that. <laughs> right on. Congrats. Okay. So your first seasonal job, was it in Colorado? Like, did you start doing seasonal work in Colorado? Yeah. So the summer after I graduated, um, and I had made that big declaration, I drove out West and I looked at a bunch of mountain towns and I ended up settling on Breckenridge, Colorado. Um, I just loved it. And so I moved out there that fall. And I found a job at a ski shop, a rental where I worked in the rental section and in retail. And that was my first seasonal job. And I don't even think that I know, actually, I know I didn't think that that was going to turn into more than one season. It was always kind of my plan to go there for a season, have fun, ski a lot, and then go probably join the ranks of, of the grownups. But that didn't turn out that way. <laughs> All right. So what are some of the other jobs you've had? Because I, I saw a pretty funny list on your website with some random stuff. So in Breckenridge, so that ended up, I ended up being there for, I think, three winters and one summer. And I held that same job that I started off with the whole time. Um, but I worked a lot of other 
jobs in between. I mean, I was a hostess at a seafood chain restaurant, which I will say was the worst job of my life. Um, I just smelled like shrimp all the time. And I had to do these like horrible, I had to say like silly things when I was calling a table. It was like, what can you, you have to say one of these things now. Um, like Jason party of two, come on down. It's shrimp in time. <laughs> like just really dumb stuff. So hold on. That was hold not on. I'm, great job. Um, might sound dumb, but I got to say I'm primed for shrimp in time now. I'm a little excited for shrimp. In okay. time. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, shrimp are good, but I don't know if I would return to that work. I had waitressed a lot in college. And so it was hard to find a waitressing job in Breckenridge just because there, everybody wants to be a waitress there or a server. So I ended up starting as a host and then I decided I didn't want to continue with working at that restaurant. Um, so I did that. I uh, was the assistant manager of a Cold Stone, which was pretty fun. Ate a lot of ice cream. Let's see what else did I do. I was a Jaeger girl. So I was rep- represented Jaeger and three olives and a couple other brands that Jack Daniels. That was actually really fun. I just had to like go to bars and give people drinks. And, you know, it was a great little side job. The job that I remember the most from being there was I was a youth mentor for an organization called SOS Outreach. Um, it was partially paid and partially volunteered. And we brought underprivileged kids out on the mountain to ski and um, did other kind of activities with them. And that was really, really great. I still remember all my kids and that was awesome. So where else did you work seasonal jobs? So, and from there is kind of where I started getting keyed into this whole seasonal worker community. I I didn't even know it existed before I went out there, but there are people who, you know, they work in Breckenridge in the winter and then they go to Montana for the summer to work as a raft guide. Um, And so I started learning about all these cool opportunities and I decided I wanted to go to Alaska for the summer. So I ended up going up there to work as a office manager for a sea kayaking company. I was a guide sometimes, but that was not my main role. And then from there, I went to go teach English in South Korea too. Um, And so those are my main jobs that I held. I went back to the sea kayaking company for three or four summers. And you would start doing the flip-flopping thing like other people were doing, where you would go there for the summer and back to Colorado in the winter? I did that once, um, but it, you know, as I was saying, the line's never straight. And so I went to go teach English in South Korea and then came back. And then um, when I was living in South Korea is around the time that I started working online as well. So eventually I, I stopped working seasonal jobs. Okay, cool. Since you've been in the, in the community, like what are some of the ways people use seasonal jobs to like build a life around travel? I hear from so many people who write to me who want to work abroad and seasonal jobs are the solution that I offer because it's hard to find jobs uh, that pay well abroad. Um, as I'm sure your listeners know, it's hard to work around visa restrictions. It's hard to get paid what you need if you're working an actual job like at a bar in another country. It's just it's, those jobs are difficult to get. So my strategy has always been find a job in your home country that's fun, that allows you to see a new place. And the way that seasonal jobs work is there are pretty depending on where you work, but most places there are two distinct off seasons, the fall and the spring when there's not a lot of work and it's kind of in between the two main seasons of summer and winter. And so that's the opportunity that I use to go and travel. So I would, you know, work in Alaska and then I'd have 
October, November before things ramped up in Breckenridge where I might go down to Central America for a few months um, and then come back. So that you can do it that way. A lot of people do it that way where they're traveling in the off season. Um, I know people who worked in Antarctica and on their way down to Antarctica, they would hang out in New Zealand for a while. Um, and with this, it allows you to earn a, enough money while in your home country and to be able to pay if you have student loans or other debt. And then you can still save a little bit of money to go traveling and have fun in the off season. Give us a breakdown, maybe like some real examples on some of the jobs that you had and how you were able to save money for like future travels as well as pay your bills and all that. Yeah. I mean, when I started out and granted, this was a while ago um, when I first started working seasonal jobs. I mean, you're getting paid minimum wage. So I think a lot of places, you know, you could expect somewhere between 10 and $15 an hour. My co-authors on the book, the owners of coolworks.com will probably be able to give you a better um, pay range. And I know that they're going to be chatting with you soon. So they, they're in the, the trenches right now of seasonal jobs today. But I would say, I think 10 to $15 an hour is a good range to expect. And that might sound like really low, but the thing to keep in mind is a lot of places offer housing or subsidized housing at some jobs you even get fed and you're in a community of people who are earning very similar money to you. So, and who are all kind of, they're there, they're not there for the money. Everybody's there for the experience. And most of your activities are based on being outside and, you know, enjoying the beautiful place that you're living in. So you're not spending a lot of money on going out to flashy dinners or other things that you might have in your life right now. Everyone's kind of in the same boat. They're all living cheaply. They're all just having barbecues on the beach. And when you're doing that, it makes it a lot easier to save money and, and live a lifestyle that matches your income. I mean, you must have forged a lot of really great relationships. I mean, can you talk about the social aspect of seasonal jobs? Because it might sound counterintuitive if you're going to talk about some deep relationships where, oh, well, you're only going to work somewhere for a period of time and then you're leaving. So how does that work so, like socially and then with relationships? I, for me, it was great. Like As I was saying with the community, when you're going up there, everybody's kind of in the same boat as you. So everybody wants to make new friends. Everybody wants to go out and be social. So it's a great opportunity to meet people. I think uh, with the location-independent lifestyle, it's a lot harder to meet people because you're not going to a job every day and getting to meet a bunch of new people who also just arrived. So as for that, I think seasonal jobs were a really good opportunity for socializing and yeah, so you have to say goodbye to people. But in my case, I returned to the same seasonal jobs season after season. And in that case, a lot of people would still be there and I would see them and it'd be just like picking up where you left off. And, um, a lot of the people are very like-minded, you know, you, everybody wants to have adventures and go be outside. And so it's really easy to make friends. What were some of the other perks outside of, you mentioned, you know, getting food included or sometimes housing. And we've talked about some of, I guess, social perks built in. You have a built-in community right there. Are there any other perks that we should be aware of? Yeah, I mean, the jobs are usually interesting. You're getting to meet a lot of people, whether it's your clients or your coworkers. Um, you know, you're probably not going to be working in a cubicle. You're probably going to have a lot of access to the outdoors. You're going to be living in like an incredible place. I mean, Breckenridge and Keshikan, the two places that I mainly work seasonal jobs, were 
two, still two of the most beautiful places I've ever been. And I love being able to explore them. And because you're knowing people in the community who might also be working at a different place, you know, for example, if somebody's working at the zip lining company in Ketchikan, you might be able to go on a free zip line that you wouldn't have the opportunity to do if you weren't just living there and getting to know the community. And yeah, I mean, the commitments are short. So it's a few months that you're really committed for, for most of these jobs. And so if you hate it, you don't, you don't have to (laughs) stay for very long. You know, how important is it to just get that first gig and get going? Because it sounds like, I mean, like with anything else, word of mouth is, is pretty key. Like one thing can lead to the next and you can hear about different opportunities on the ground that you wouldn't have heard about just by doing research online. Is that true? I think not as much as you might think. The thing that's surprising about seasonal jobs is they're pretty easy to get. Um, you don't need to have a particular set of skills. They're not crazy competitive. I mean, depending on the specific company or job you're trying to get. But I think that's why they're so great is because they're super accessible, whether you are looking for a career change, whether you're just graduating college, whether you're a retiree, you can probably find a seasonal job that works for you. It might not be your ideal job, but, but you don't um, have to do it forever. <laughs> right. But you don't have to do it forever. And you, you have to look at it as like a pretty sweet opportunity to live in a cool place. Um, and of course, you may find better opportunities once you're kind of hooked into the network and can and word of mouth. I mean, it's just like any other industry. But for people who have no connections to the industry and who are just kind of trying to enter it without knowing anything, which was me, it's pretty easy. You know, you can hop right in. What are some of the other um, resources? You mentioned coolworks.com. Can you share some other resources if people want to do some research? Yeah, I mean, coolworks.com is is really the mecca for seasonal workers. Um, there aren't a ton of resources out there. And that's actually why I wrote the book is because I know when I was looking for seasonal jobs, it was basically CoolWorks or my own Google research. So if you are trying to find a job and you don't see it there, I would say my biggest piece of advice is to think like a tourist. So think about what what do you want to do and where do you want to be? You know, if you really love horses and you love the mountains, start thinking about mountain towns and start looking for ranches in those towns. And maybe you'll be able to find a job as a ranch hand somewhere. So yeah, I mean, Google's definitely going to be your friend in this situation. Yeah. And we'll include a link to the book, of course, in the show notes, if you want to check out Susan's book. I mean, there's a reason you wrote it. And like you said, that's right. Uh, I know. I wish I could be more helpful, but there's actually <laughs> just not that many resources out there. So well, you were helpful like, by, by writing this book, right? I mean, that was part yeah, of the deal. It's so. like the secret society that nobody really knows about. And then you find when you're working there, people are like, how did you get this job? Because I just don't even think it occurs to most people that, yo, I could go work in Alaska if I really wanted to. Um, and so it's a, but once you start thinking about it and once you start, you know, the opportunities are pretty endless. Okay. So what about your overseas experience? You mentioned teaching English in South Korea. How was that compared to your seasonal job experience? I mean, would you even call that a seasonal job or is that like in another category of itself? I mean, I classify it as a seasonal job. I wrote a briefly about it in the book, but we wanted to mostly focus on on seasonal jobs in the United States. But I know a lot of people are curious about teaching English abroad. So um, that's why I wanted to just briefly touch on it. Um, but I, I think it's a seasonal job because it's a short term contract. I mean, it's not something that you're 
people definitely turn it into a career, but it does not have to be a career move. It can be a year long commitment and it also really allows you to travel. So, um, yeah, I mean, it could be in a different category, but I count it as a seasonal job. <laughs> nice. Did you like the experience? Yeah, I did. I mean, I definitely had mixed feelings about it. Um, it was definitely challenging at times. Um, but for anybody who has student loans or who really just needs to earn money while they're traveling, I think it's the best option. I mean, there were challenges with me just because of some of my coworkers and I didn't get along. But other than that, I mean, it was an amazing opportunity with, in terms of, I love kids. I got to hang out with kids all day and I got to earn great money that allowed me to pay off some debt. And I also got some great travel opportunities in Asia. You mentioned not really needing any special skills to do the seasonal work stateside, but did you need to have a special certificate or anything for the teaching English? No, you just need a four-year college degree. I believe there are some opportunities if you have a two-year degree, but the best paying opportunities are if you have a four-year degree and you can get paid a little bit more if you have a TEFL certification. Um, But I just did that online before I went and it was really easy. Can you share one of your favorite moments from like all these seasonal jobs you've had that that kind of paint the picture of uh, what it can be? Yeah, as soon as you said that, I kind of thought, I mean, of this one moment, I mean, it's just, anything to do with orcas. Because uh, when I was living in Southeast Alaska, we got to see orcas fairly often. And yeah, I was riding out on the boat to go help bring the boat in for at the end of the evening. And there were the boat was just surrounded by the most majestic creatures I've ever seen. And they were just swimming right alongside us. And I could see them like, I mean, I, I could, I could, I could have probably touched one if I wanted to, um, or if it was not legal, but they were right there. And then I couldn't, and I was getting paid. I mean, that was my job. I was, I was getting paid to ride on a boat in Southeast Alaska surrounded by orcas. And I think that's when I was like, wow, this seasonal job lifestyle is pretty sweet. <laughs> you probably wouldn't have been surrounded by orcas at the Bloomberg marketing public relations office place, right? (laughs) I'm going to have to go ahead and say no. I probably would have been surrounded by suits and concrete. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, right there, you know, those are small moments, I think, that, you know, you always take with you and and make it all, you know, make the hard parts about, you know, having to announce the shrimp and tables or whatever (laughs) makes it it worth it. How has the transition been to location independence? Because you mentioned now you're working... What are you doing right now? And you're you're working as a, like a location independent entrepreneur, basically. A freelance writer. So um, when I was actually living in South Korea is when I started writing a blog because people were asking me how I was getting all these seasonal jobs. And going back to there was no resources. Um, I started writing a blog about seasonal jobs and about travel. And I started writing for the local newspaper there, the local English language newspaper, not not Korean. Yeah, and, and then I started getting some content marketing and blogging work. And that's kind of when I started realizing like that location independence might be a possibility. And so I kept that up even after I'd returned to my seasonal job in Alaska and was doing that on the side. And eventually I got to the point where I couldn't do both. And so I, because I was interested in the idea of location independence, I made the leap into full-time freelance writing. Yeah. How do you like it compared to what you were doing? Because you did mention some of the challenges socially, like not having the job you go to every day with people and everything. And how long, 
I guess to get some context around this question, like how long have you been doing the location independent thing over the seasonal work? So I think it's important to note that I failed once. Um, you know, I think it's good to talk about your failures um, and embrace them. So I initially left my seasonal job and to go fully freelancing. And then after about six months, I realized uh, I don't really have enough money. So I went back to my job for the summer and then kept working and building up my client base. And then at the end of that summer is when I went back to full-time freelancing. And so that was probably four, three or four years ago. I'm glad I'm not the <laughs> only one that's bad with dates because I can never remember exactly. I think when you do like a lot of random jobs and stuff, the years get confusing. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, you have to like think there's like a few things, like big milestones that I remember. And so I'm trying to place them around that. I think it was about, it was fall of 2014. And since then, I've had two stints where I went in-house at different companies too. So I don't want to make it seem like I've been freelancing that entire time. But now I'm back to full-time freelancing. And even one of those in-house jobs, I was I was remote. So I was location independent um, for the in-house writing job. I love it. I, you know, I think the pros definitely outweigh the cons. As a social person, I have found it challenging at times. Um, I've started going to some co-working spaces and trying that, but it's just, it's, there's nothing like the bonds that you can build when you're working with people, especially in a seasonal job or just any kind of service job. I think like the friendships I made with people working at a restaurant or, um, at the ski shop were really like, they can't be matched anymore. I mean, there are just, you know, when you're working these like crazy hours and just, complaining about customers. It's like this automatic, amazing bonding experience. And when you're going out partying all night with them, and now I'm too old to party all night. So, you know, that that's been the probably the biggest challenge of being location independent. But other than that, I mean, it's totally worth it, you know, getting to live wherever you want. I'm sure your listeners are very familiar with the benefits. <laughs> I don't need to talk about those. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. But I mean, it is important. Like, like you said, I mean, you highlight everything. It's not just about, hey, we're going to paint this glossy picture. I mean, it's it's the reality of it. And it's, it's good to know if you're getting into one or the other. There's pros and cons to everything, of course. Like you said, you can't look to your co-work and be like, oh man, this is a crazy article I'm writing right now, isn't it? Wait a minute. You're just talking to yourself now, right? There's no... Yeah. <laughs> I think that's also one of the cool things. Like, I don't know if you could just... The flexibility of, you know, contract work or seasonal work and freelancing that you could you can like weave in and dip in and out of these worlds as needed really and that that to me is like a benefit yeah oh i think you're right i mean it's a really good way to look at it um because both of them you can do them concurrently and kind of see which one you like better i think seasonal jobs are a great way to kind of dip your toe into things because you don't need particular skills you don't need to start a business and you pr- might have the the time as I did when I was in South Korea to start a side business too. You, you cause you could start instead of traveling in the off season, you could work on your business in the off season. Cause you're going to have those few months. I mean, when you're in the season and you're in the thick of it, you're probably not going to have a whole lot of free time. I mean, somehow I managed to do my freelance writing on the side of my seasonal jobs too. Um, but it's a little bit more of a challenge. Cool. Well, I appreciate your time. And again, the book is The Ultimate Guide to Seasonal Jobs, How to Have Fun, Make Money, and Travel the World. Nice title, Susan. <laughs> Thank you. And uh, we'll link up to that in the show notes. Any uh, any final words of wisdom before we let you go? You want to share your website or wherever anybody else can find you? 
Uh, yeah. So, I mean, my website, susanshane.com, as you did a great job earlier spelling it out, it's S-U-S-A-N-S-H-A-I-N.com. And if you want to go directly to the ebook, it's susanshane.com slash ebook. I'm sure that a lot of people say this, but I'm just going to say it because I don't think it can ever be said enough. You know, just try it. Just take the leap, um, whether it's seasonal jobs or starting a business. Um, I know that you've said this before, Jason, but I'm a big fan of just thinking about the worst that could happen. And when you really dive into that feeling and just sit there and think about, okay, here's if everything fails, here's what's going to happen. You might realize that it's not going to be that bad. And hopefully that'll help you kind of get over your fear. And I mean, even if you hate seasonal jobs, it's probably going to be worth it. You're probably going to learn something and you can always come back to your regular life. And you can do anything for one season, right? Yeah. (laughs) Awesome. Thank you so much. We'll talk soon. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Cheers. There you go. I want to thank Susan for stopping by, sharing her story. And her book is on Gumroad. I can give you a link to that. And she's been kind enough to offer it, at least at the time of this recording, as a pay what you want type of thing. So if you want to get more information, I will leave this link on the show notes and you can pay what you want for that book if you want to check it out. So thanks again to Susan for that. And my friend, I want to thank you for stopping by today's show. I got a couple more things for you as we wrap up. Going to get into that question at the top of the show about those two different types of travelers. This, I don't know if it's controversial or not. I, I want to get your opinion on this. So you'll have to drop me a line and share with me. I also want to give a shout out to one of you as well. So first, I want to say quickly, thank you to Tortuga Backpacks for supporting today's show. Once again, zero to travel.com slash Tortuga. If you use the promo code TRAVEL, you can get any of their backpacks or any of their travel gear for that matter, 10% off any of it, whatever you order there. And you can see my favorite Tortuga products if you go to that link. So if you want the best travel backpacks that are maximized for space, that's what I love about the Outbreaker, you don't have to check the bag. No more spending money on checking bags. Just get the bag that looks cool, that has the most amount of space that you can use to carry on. And you can bring all your stuff, but you don't have to pay for the checked bag. So right there, I mean, if you're saving money on checking bags, you can pay for a new backpack just from that savings. And that's the best way to pack anyway. I always pack pretty much the same for a trip that is either a week long or three weeks long or three months long because you don't need that much. And you know, the one thing that I think airlines have done... Uh, even though they have inadvertently done it, uh, they've done it because they want to charge us all kinds of fees to for check baggage and create more revenue opportunities. But in that process, they are also forcing people to pack lighter and pack smarter. And that is a good thing. So if you want some help with that and you want the best backpack to do it, uh, check out the Tortuga backpack. Zero to travel.com slash Tortuga. Promo code travel when you check out 10% off anything. You'll also be supporting this show if you decide to get anything. So thank you so much for that. I want to give a quick shout out to Robert 
from the Zero to Travel Caravan listening community. He dropped me an email. I'll read a couple snippets. He said, snippets. Did I just say with a B? Snippets. Snippets is what I meant. He said, over the past six months of my life, I've been using your podcast and a few others as a research tool on how to turn my fast-paced travel experiences, photographs, and technical writing skills into potential source of income. I'm assuming that you'd have no problem relating to the need to talk about that, think about, and write about travel just as I do. So before I drive my wife insane with how often I bother her with my travel fantasies regarding where we will fly next or deciding which country our baby will experience first, I am seeking an outlet to share my travel, blubbering with people who are just as passionate as I am. He goes on to say, I wanted to reach out to primarily thank you for providing me with countless inspirational podcasts and being the voice of reason who was able to push me over a hill of procrastination and doubt. The thought of pursuing something like this even last year would have been unimaginable. I simply would have shrugged it off as being unrealistic your podcast change that my journey down this road has just begun after years of what if or no way my travel thoughts and fantasies are finally being poured out onto paper my ideas are overflowing and he just had a lot of nice things to say so he is embracing this idea of exploring uh, travel as a primary goal in his life and building his goals around travel, whether that be work goals or life goals and making it a thing, even though he's about to have a baby and you know, a lot of people can they say that, oh, you're going to have a kid. You can't travel anymore. You're screwed. <laughs> you know, everybody's heard that. It's cool to hear that this podcast has played some part in inspiring you, Bob. So thanks so much. And you know, when Bob wrote me, he did include his phone number at the end, just happened to be in his signature. So I, yeah, I called him up. I called him up. Bob, if you're listening to this, it was nice chatting with you. He was on his way to work and I just said, I'm going to call this dude right now and tell him thanks. I do that sometimes. So, hey, it's fun. It's cool. It's cool to hear from you guys and it's cool to talk to all of you. And I really appreciate that you are here with me sharing this time with me and being a part of this community. Thank you so much. So, Bob, thanks for writing. Thanks for the kind words. Anybody who wants to write, drop me a line, jason at zero to travel.com. Or even better, if you want to leave a review on the podcast, I read all of those and those are those really make my day. And if you get value out of the podcast and you want to do that, go for it. I always appreciate those. Before I let you go, let's talk about these two types of travelers. The barista down at my local cafe said uh, exists. She said, you have those that travel to be humbled and those that travel to be gluttonous because we were talking about... We were actually talking in Norwegian, which was really cool. I had the whole conversation almost in Norwegian somehow. The great thing about speaking Norwegian with Norwegians is that when I don't know the word, I can just switch over to English and ask them how I say that word in Norwegian. And they all speak great English. So I learned some new words and got some practice. And she said, you know, hey, do you want to switch to English? I said, no, no, we got to keep this in Norwegian because... I definitely need the practice. And this idea of these two types of travelers, after I got home, I drew a chart and I put humbled on one end and I drew a big line and gluttonous on the other. Is that the traveler spectrum? I don't know. Gluttonous is is pretty extreme. When I think of gluttonous, you can think of the traveler maybe that you know goes to Las Vegas and just indulges in every type of thing with total disregard to even caring about the culture you're in or the people that live there or anything like that. I mean, at least that's what I thought if, they, if I'm thinking about the extreme end of that spectrum. And then on the other end, you have those that are traveling to be humbled. Well, whether that is the spectrum or not, whether you agree with that 
or not, doesn't really matter. I still thought it was a great way to think about travel or a great intention to have. And I think it's great to indulge as a traveler. I mean, that's part of travel, right? You're indulging. And to me, it's about indulging in the right things. It doesn't mean you can't just go out and enjoy a meal, but you know, indulging in the culture, indulging in the people, and indulging in the local cuisine and being a part of that is is a wonderful thing about traveling. And of course, this idea of traveling to be humbled as an intention, as a way to approach travel, as a an attitude, if you will. If, if you could say hum, being humbled or getting humble is an attitude, that attitude always kind of has that idea of kind of being, yeah, I'm going to have an attitude. It's, you know, puff my chest out and I'm bringing some attitude here. But being humbled and approaching it that way can be an attitude as well. So regardless of whether this is the these are the two types of travelers or more realistically, this is a spectrum and whether you agree that that is the spectrum and the words that you use to define it doesn't really matter. I just wanted to bring this up because it was an interesting conversation and I wanted to remind myself and share with you that, hey, when I think about Instead of using the word gluttonous, I think of indulgent and I think of humbled. And if I'm traveling and I'm thinking of a couple words, traveling to to be humbled and coming with that approach and then traveling, and, and it happens organically, but just keeping that top of mind is a great way to approach things. And being a little gluttonous and relaxing and enjoying yourself is okay too. For me, I would feel too guilty if I made the whole trip about that. I do want to experience the culture and all the things that we travel for. But being gluttonous, hey, it's okay too. We've all done it. We all do it occasionally. And hey, that's just life. So it was just an interesting perspective and an interesting spectrum, I thought. I don't know if I agree with it or not, but it brought up some ideas and I wanted to share them with you for whatever it's worth. There you go. There are some ideas around that. Maybe you have a better spectrum you can come up with or we just don't we throw away the spectrum really i mean how can you label travel and travelers i've spent how many countless hours recording this podcast you'd think i'd run out of things to talk about when it comes to travel but no because there's so much to it and then in the end it's all just words right i mean how can we put words to this experience if you know travel if you love travel you know what it is in your heart and soul you know what it is you know what it means to you but hey it's still fun to talk about, isn't it? Isn't it fun to talk about? Get that wanderlust going and to learn about. And I'm going to continue to bring you this show. This is your show. This is a community-powered show. This is your platform. And people have been getting in touch lately to let me know, hey, what about this type of guest? How, have you covered this topic? I would really like to hear about this. If you have any suggestions at all, you can reach out to me anytime. Okay. I've taken enough of your time today, my friend. I want to let you go. I want you to enjoy your day. Smile. Take a chance today. Take one step towards your next trip or one step towards a life goal or one tiny step towards something you've been wanting to do for a while. Maybe write a letter today to a friend you haven't talked to for a while. Maybe call somebody you've been thinking about calling you haven't gotten in touch with. Just do one of those things today. Why not? Right? Makes the world a better place. Okay. I'm going to let you go. We'll chat soon. Thanks so much for your time. I'll see you next time. Cheers. This podcast has been brought to you by ZeroToTravel.com. Ideas and advice to make your travel dreams a reality.